Welcome to 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness with your host, Dr. Rob Bell. Dr. Rob interviews expert coaches, executives, and athletes about mental toughness and their hinge moments. The hinge. It connects who we are with who we've become, and it only takes one. And now for your host, Dr. Rob. But it's interesting, the the fact that we don't know when we're all going to play and compete again is not necessarily something that we choose to focus on. And I think we started that from the very beginning. Like we're not going to sit there and train like, oh, well, I might fight here. We're only going to we're only going to make decisions on what we know, not what we hope, what we hear, what we expect. You know, we basically make decisions on truly what we know as of now. And, you know, my day is May 21st. I mean, that could change in five minutes. That could change, you know, that could be the day, but always kind of with that mindset and perspective. So we go out, we're going to push each other. We're going to try to make each other better and uh, just get real uncomfortable. Hey, this is Dr. Rob Bell. If you want a free ebook, the best mental toughness quotes that will make you better, just text Dr. Rob Bell, that's D-R-R-O-B-B-E-L-L, to this number, 33444. You'll get a download right away. So our guest today um, is probably is one of the, definitely the first uh, PJ Tour players I ever started working with. Started working with, with him when uh, he was a mini tour player. Knew he always had that greatness inside of him. And, uh, and was just blessed to be able to work with this guy for four years and, um, you know, just an incredible individual. Um, really look forward to hearing his story today, but, uh, he's been on the PJ tour now for 10 years, three time PJ tour winner, um, has a, a wonderful wife, Jennifer, two kids, Millie and Finn. And, uh, you all know this individual, but, uh, today our guest is Scott Stone. Scott, thanks for joining us, buddy. Man, happy to be a part of it. Absolutely, man. I think there's so much that we can uh, that we can delve into. I mean, this is a podcast, obviously, about mental toughness and, and hinge moments, and when it comes to mental toughness, because you always had that that drive, that fire, that, that it factor. I think that when when people talk about it, um, if we can, man, let's just start out with that. When it comes to like mental toughness, man, what, what's it mean to you? I think mental toughness is in, in just life. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to look at it, especially from the sport that I play for a living. And, you know, the, I think when people have plans and they go about it and like, just let's use golf as an example. All right, I'm going to go, I'm going to hit the fairways, I'm going to hit the greens. And the moment that you have like that adversity, uh, mental toughness is how you just deal with it. You understand that it's a part of life. It's a part of sports. It's a part of everything. And the moment that you, uh, the less you freak out, the moment you kind of accept it and figure out a way to, to move on and kind of deal with it is, uh, uh, it's always a lot easier said than done, but there's a lot of ways to kind of practice and, and kind of play tricks with your mind as far as to learn how to deal with that kind of stuff. I always like the people that, you know, start telling me about how they're going to do things. And I just start laughing because especially with the situation we're in now, like, I mean, I was at the player championship a week ago and now I'm sitting here at my house for at least the next eight weeks, if not longer. And pretty quick realization that we're not in control. Right. And I mean, this is a pure time of adversity and, you know, people are freaking out all over the place. And this is a unbelievable time to be mentally strong and figure out, find what your weaknesses are, find opportunity that you can, may never get this time in my career again without being injured to be time with my family, be time with uh, my training partners that are all back in town. And uh, I got some things in my game that I need to work on that a little bit easier to work on with eight weeks off than, you know, trying to play against the best players in the world and uh, just try to make the most of it. We have no control out there. You know, everyone's doing the best they possibly can. And uh, the, the feel sorry for me or, Oh, I I really want to be out there playing. I want like, come on, man, you gotta be better than that. And, uh, and there's a lot of other problems in the world besides when I'm going to play golf again. And I I think the moment that people, especially someone in athletics and sports realize that, and just to know that, Hey, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to be ready with my name's call of that tee, whether it's eight weeks, whether it's six months, you know, whatever it is, like I'll be ready and I'm going to do the work each day to make sure I'm ready. Yeah. 
That was a long answer to a short question. Sorry. <laughs> no, I think it's great, man, because I mean, you've, you, I think you've always done a good job of that is focusing on what you can control, but you bring that piece about, I think, perspective and gratitude. That's, that's really important. Um, since you've mentioned it in terms of, you know, your fitness that you've done, um, and, and how you've, you know, just transformed yourself and inspired so many people where we're at in a country right now with so much that's out of our control and, uh, you know, a country going down lockdown and, and who knows where it's going to go. Um, you train with a lot of different professional athletes. How do you guys approach training right now? And, and what's kind of stood out having gone through this? Cause like we kind of said, right? Like right now, like you're unemployed. Um, how's that, how's that mindset kind of changed and how are you approaching it? It's different. I've told the guys this morning, we, uh, um, we, it's a very unique group between baseball. We have our kind of our uh, guy that kind of held us all together. It's our PT guy, Adam Curley, who travels a lot with me on the PGA tour, but lives here in Knoxville. And, uh, he's having major FOMO cause he's still at, he's trying to get out of Florida <laughs> at the beach and get back. But we've got some baseball guys, we've got a UFC fighter and, uh, myself. So I, I'm definitely bring, they're bringing my street cred up and I'm bringing their street cred down <laughs> and telling everyone they train with a golfer. Um, but it, it's interesting. The, the fact that we don't know when we're all going to play and compete again is not necessarily something that we choose to focus on. And I think we started that from the very beginning. Yeah. Like we're not going to sit there and train like, Oh, well, I might fight here. We're only going to, we're only going to make decisions on what we know, not what we hope, what we hear, what we expect. You know, we basically, we make decisions on truly what we know as of now. And, you know, my day is May 21st. I mean, that could change in five minutes. That could change, you know, that could be the day, but always kind of with that mindset and perspective. So we go out, we're going to push each other. We're going to try to make each other better and uh, just get real uncomfortable and and suffer through and um it's a very unique group and something that i feel very blessed to have and uh guys that do completely different things than i do for a living but uh we started doing this lunge thing right when i got back from uh, my buddy Corey gregory up in columbus ohio he lunges every day and he challenged about two years ago to try it in off season and literally the best my back and i mean the first week was brutal but the best my hips and back have ever felt so i was like man that's a t- great time to do it again so i started doing it and it's amazing how social media picked up on it and other people started doing it and we were literally lunging down my driveway after this workout this morning and uh, my buddy that plays for the nationals uh, that just comes off a world series. It's like, man, I just realized how much I let what I do dictate and, and define me in my career and my life. I mean, I'm like, man, we're day one into this and we're already getting deep. So it's amazing to see how far we end up or eight or 12 weeks down the road and, you know, kind of get sick of training with each other every single day, but it's an awesome group. Uh, I don't think that necessarily the mentality is, oh, we're, we're, we're training for any sport specific. It's just overall general fitness. And, um, you know, try to harden the mind a little bit, put ourselves in some real uncomfortable spots because, you know, it's rare for all of us to truly be off for this length amount of time and, and to be able to, you know, challenge each other. I mean, Scott and I did a workout, Scott Holtzman, my UFC buddy, uh, we did a workout Wednesday that we literally wrote it and knowing that there was no chance we were going to finish it. And right. we just said, we're going to see how far we could get and said, all right, we're going to, this is going to be our benchmark workout for the next you know, few months. And we're going to keep coming back to this and see if we can finish it. And just to see kind of test our fitness. And like for myself, I'm doing a lactate VO2 on Monday and kind of see how my fitness kind of make sure I can be accountable to that. I uh, see me kind of snagging on some water here and there. I, I basically, when I was coming back from Ponte Vedra, I wrote down all the things that I thought I can improve upon yep. uh, and things I couldn't control and things I can control. And like my hydration is 50, 50. I either, when I'm playing on the course, I do great, but at home I kind of, a lot of coffee and, uh, uh, water's kind of, you know, throughout. So I made a goal. I was like, I'm going to drink at least a gallon of water a day, try to get it done by three o'clock. So I'm not waking up all night, but just little things like that. And just little checks throughout the day to make sure, man, am I truly maximizing my time at home when I have total control and, you know, little things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's what, uh, I mean, I, you and I are definitely on that same mindset in terms of, you know, I think we have to squeeze the nectar out of every single day, right? Because this is all mm-hmm. we've got. Um, t- 
talk about suffering a little bit, man. So when when you get in those workouts and you suffer, what uh, what does that do? How does that help our mind? And how do we have to go to that place? Yeah, uh, I, 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 anyone that hasn't read uh, "Can't Hurt Me" by David Goggins, uh, unbelievable story. Uh, incredible guy to follow on social media. Hopefully, I have an opportunity to meet him one day. Um, and uh, just incredible story about just his whole life of suffering, you know, from personal tragedy to uh, overcoming just incredible obstacles. And I mean, he uses a word, he tries to callous his mind and to where nothing phases him. And uh, the gym is very counterintuitive to uh, what I do to, for a living. Uh, you know, golf's very long and slow and kind of monotonous, where, you know, there's so many different training methodologies you can use to where like nothing surprises me, you know, whether it's on the minute, whether it's AMRAP, whether it's to completion, whether it's a, we did a fifties workout today with every three minutes, you had to do a 10 calorie sprint and then go right back into it until you got done. And, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, just different things like that to where, like, I'm, I know when I step foot in there, I'm going to get really uncomfortable really quick. And I'm going to learn how to just overcome. I'm going to learn how to breathe. I'm going to learn how to control my heart rate. Uh, we were with some guys working out in uh, Ponte Vedra last week. And we did a workout the weekend before I went down, uh, right before the tournament. And we were training with some guys. And we basically did some steady state cardio for an hour to learn how to control our heart rate in that like upper tier. And, and you start to really understand suffering when you can control your heart rate in the upper one fifties for an hour. What did you do for that one? Uh, that was a, uh, it was a two minutes on 30 seconds off for basically 24 rounds. So 48 minutes of, of work and basically 11 and a half minutes of rest. If you don't count the last one and you're running, you're biking, you're rowing and you're skiing and you're just understanding your output to where you can kind of hold that heart rate. My goal is to try to hold it over 150 for an hour. And, uh, I was able to do that, but you know, where you just understand I can do this in this department, you know, I, I got to run a little bit slower. I got to row a little bit faster. And you, you start to understand if I can do this, you know, this is my end result. Yeah. Then you get those other workouts where it's, we did a, a workout yesterday where it was, uh, six push presses at 75 pounds and six burpees over the bar for four minutes. And you did one-to-one work to rest. So you did four minutes, you rested for four minutes, and then you did that three times. And that. you tried to, you tried to beat each round and man, it was brutal. Yeah. I mean, 75 pounds is not difficult by any means, but over the course of, we added up our reps. I mean, we did 128 push presses and, you know, basically 12 minutes and 128 burpees. So just to keep the rounds and just to know that, and, and to have other guys that are in there with you, like, I mean, no one wants to suffer alone, but, but I mean, there's times that, that happens. I mean, I've enjoyed, I've really enjoyed running. Um, and I, that's just something that I kind of like, I enjoy getting out there and, uh, you know, kind of seeing where my mind goes and I don't necessarily listen to music. I don't really listen to anything and kind of get out there and just see where my mind takes me. Some days that's two or three miles, some day it's 10 or 12. And uh, just seeing what the body's capable of. I mean, the quote that's on my wall that's right in front of my treadmill uh, is that Socrates basically describing if, you know, if you don't understand what your body's truly capable of, then like, what are you doing? And that's a, a summation of it. But essentially I look at that every single day and I'm going to try to see what every time I come in here at home on the road or whatever, I'm going to try to see what my body's capable of. And that's just as much on the training side as the recovery side as well. Right. I mean, uh, you know, from a mobility, I under like that list that I wrote down, my mobility is something that constantly needs to be improved upon and, uh, uh, subscribe to a few different, uh, at base stuff to kind of help me be accountable to it where I check in every single day where I, I have to do it. And I've got my wife suffering along with me, uh, in some of the programming, which yesterday was 51 minutes of basically just like long, steady, like stretch holds. And man, if you haven't done that in a while, it's a wake up call. Like this is something that I, I have to do every single day to, because you only get one body, you only get one chance and you better be a good steward of it. Yeah. So a lot of times, man, and, um, our worst moment then becomes kind of our best moment. 
And we, we never realized that, that at the time, but uh, share that story with us. When you're at the doctor's office at UCLA, um, was it in, in sleep apnea was a big part of that that was going on with it. But share with that, that hinge moment about when that transformation that took place. Yeah, it was, it was a scary time. I didn't really know what was going on. Um, and kind of like the backstory of it is, uh, you know, that the, the admitted use of a banned substance, like I reported myself in February and it took the tour until April to give me a word as far as how they were going to choose to proceed. And honestly, if you'd have given me the opportunity, knowing what would not, what would happen, like, would I have been the same thing? Probably. Uh, Cause I mean, ultimately it just gave me the time to do the things I needed to do for my, I mean, I, I had no business being out there on tour anyway. I felt so bad. <laughs> so I was just kind of spinning my wheels. But um, who knows, man? Everyone looks back. It's like, would, would that be something that you would recommend? Would you do something different? Would you do it the same? And uh, I was very happy with the way it, it turned out because I, I knew that I never intended to do uh, anything to try to gain advantage on my competitors, and nor would I. Um, but it, it was just a big time of limbo, which I don't think uh, I always kind of felt like the rug was going to be pulled out from under me because I was allowed to play like after I basically self-reported and I never failed a drug test. I never did anything. And uh, so it was a, a constant battle of, man, what what's going on here? So even while dealing with that was still dealing with doctor's offices and, and kind of managing all that and I reached out to two guys. I reached out to a guy at Boston University and a guy at UCLA. And the guy at Boston recommended the guy at UCLA as more of a diagnostician. And I went out. Uh, they called me Monday of Colonial. And he said, I have opening on Thursday and Friday of this week. If not, it's going to be six to eight weeks. I'm going to Europe to speak and travel. Um he said, so this is kind of your, and I was, I was over it. I was ready to, I was basically playing golf because I didn't know what else to do. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, still I had no answer from the tour, no, nothing. Uh, they were just kind of just holding, no one, they, they were very, and that was in the commissioner Fincham days. So everything operated a little bit different. There wasn't much transparency as there, mm -hmm. there is now. Um, but, Still, golf wasn't a huge priority. It was an opportunity to try to figure out what was going on. So I, I withdrew from the tournament, flew out, and I spent two days with this guy. And I will never forget that for the rest of my life. Um, he tested me for everything under the sun. Uh, and whether it was prevalent, unprevalent, just try to rule, rule some things out. And, you know, after... You know, a day and a half of testing, he pulls back and he sits me across his desk and he says, I, I can promise you one thing, you're not going to die. And I, I've said this in a hundred interviews now, like said, sir, if that was truly a possibility, I don't think I would have come here. And he said, son, I tell you, I tell people every single day, they have something that can't be cured. And I just, that was when the aha hinge moment, you know, whatever anyone wants to call it, looks back and it's like, I'm over this. And he said, it's going to be a long process to, you basically opened up a Pandora's box of a bunch of different things that aren't major problems, but they, they all happened at once. So it kind of came a catastrophe out of nowhere. And, uh, I'd started training a little bit, started trying to do some diet stuff and started making some little tweaks. And some of the things that I was using, uh, to like help my body recover, like this protein supplement I was using, I knew hundreds of people that used it, and basically my body uh, treated it as poison. Right. I had some food sensitivity stuff and some different things. Like the the ideas were right, but just the individuality for myself were I was a little bit off. And so he sent me back to Tennessee with a list of tests, uh, and I started going down the list and kind of being able to put some stuff together. And, and ultimately, the, I had obstructive sleep apnea, which was uh, a huge problem, especially for what we do for a living. And I did two sleep studies back-to-back, -back, and I had to combine 15 minutes of REM sleep. And, 15 uh, minutes? In 16 hours of testing. And that's, un uh, that's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. My testosterone uh, at the time was – I mean, everyone wants to know, like, what was the numbers? What was – and, and testosterone from a masculinity standpoint, 
uh, I mean, I was super embarrassed about it at the time. I mean, at one time, my wife had a higher testosterone than I did. And that's kind of like the male equivalent. But you look at it from my perspective, the inflammatory marker was just like the guy told me, he said, if I didn't take your blood myself, I would have thought this was a blood from someone that was in a retirement home, not wow. someone that was a professional athlete. And he said, wow. this is blood work from a guy in his mid to late seventies, not a guy that was 29, 30 years old trying to play against the best players in the world. And he said, there's no, the only reason I believe that is I took your blood myself. And that, those are the things you look back on and, you know, inflammatory response as far as the body. If someone starts bringing up their, you know, I've got low T or I've got this, and it's like, well, oh, man, what's your inflammatory marker? Because that's kind of a tell-all. And, uh, and, and honestly, that kind of transitioned into where the training aspect became a big outlet for me. I was very fortunate to have a lot of good people come around me and kind of help me through that. And uh, I don't necessarily – and I kind of tread lightly how I say this, but sure. when – like drugs and alcohol and things of abuse, like I, not that I condone that in any way, but at least I can understand it because it, it helps someone escape from a situation that they are trying to get away from. And I was very, very, very fortunate to have someone introduce me to exercise and just fitness. And basically the way that my body responded was imagine the alternator in your car is going to go out and it's just hanging on for dear life but you got to go merge on the interstate when people are going 80. So when you cram on the gas, it works. But as soon as you let off, it just putters forever. And that was basically the way it got. It's like, well, how, how do you train? How do you do this? And that basically became the only time of the day I felt good. Yeah. So I started doing it more and more and more. And slowly but surely, I started trying to figure some things out. And the tests are started coming together and the, the food kind of dialed in and the sleep kind of dialed in. I had a major sinus surgery at the end of 2015 and man, it sucked for about two weeks, but I would do it again in a heartbeat. And I think that so many people fear uh, answers and, and doctor's offices and just like, Oh, the what ifs. And I mean, there were so many things that we tested for and that we ruled out. So we didn't, you know, kind of spin our wheels as far as trying to guess what was happening. And I think that's a lot of society as well. Like, oh, I, you, you go to the doctor too much or, or you, you look into things too much. It's like, no, I, I look into things to eliminate as much as I possibly do to add in. Right. I probably eliminate 90% of what I take in, but it's just something I don't even think about. Look into it. Hey, is that applicable to what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to achieve? And and if not, hey, I'm done with it. But at least I looked into it to try to see if it was there. Not that I'm just searching for these, like, ambiguous things in life to kind of add in to make my life more complicated. I'm, I'm trying to work smarter, not harder. And I think that, you know, sometimes people get a little bit short-sighted, especially when it comes to medical stuff. I mean, we've got a great doctor and a great team of guys that kind of help uh, through that process. I mean, we do full lab work uh, every three months. And just as far as the length of our season and the the stuff that we come in contact with day in, day out, and just as far as to stay on top of it and not necessarily look to tweak anything, just to kind of be accountable to make sure, hey, health, fitness, you know, diet, nutrition, sleep, all that stuff's kind of staying on point with what it needs to be. And um, everyone needs a little bit of accountability in their life. And that lab work doesn't lie. Yeah. And that does really well to me. So, like, because even when we worked together and when you were coming up, I mean, you always were, were mentally tough. I mean, you always had that edge. Um, what was it? Did you Were you able to take that um, that mentality that you've always had and then just turn it into then that part of your life and make that change? Yeah. I, I remember when I left the doctor's office at UCLA, um, I was in an Uber. I was going back to – I can't remember exactly where I was going. Um but I remember calling my wife, Jennifer, and I I said, she's the only person I called. And I said, I met the, I left the doctor. You know, I've got a long way to go. But the man that you know now is no more. Uh, I'm sorry that you've had to deal with him. Someone that took life for granted, took what he had for granted, took his career for granted. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. And, you know, that was that wake-up call that, uh, I didn't care if I played on tour anymore. 
I didn't, uh, we just had our son, uh, Finn, he's seven now. And I said, I, I can't go through for these next part of my life and continue to neglect the things that I need to do to be there for you guys. And if I get to play on tour and, and live my life as a professional golfer as my career, it was a huge blessing, but that was never my intent. Like I never did this to become a better golfer. Right. And I think that's why people get like, Oh, well that, that, that doesn't correlate to golf. That is, I was like, that was never the, that was never a priority. The fact that I get to do this is a bonus. Right. And, uh, and now there's the, the transition. I'd be able to figure out some different ways to kind of transition where it does affect my golf. But at the time that was never the priority. Oh, I need to get, I need to get healthy. So I can get back on tours. Like I need to not sleep 16 hours a day. <laughs> and everyone says, Oh, well, how did you sleep 16 hours a day? And you, you, you felt bad. It's like, well, if you're basically, you don't get any REM sleep, you're basically just laying there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but just different things like that, uh, I think go a long way to kind of, to help. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's a, it's been quite a journey for sure. So what about like, um, the people you've helped along this way? I mean, the people that reach out to you, I mean, is that now becoming the best part? Yeah. The social media side of it, uh, was never part, but opportunities to speak and, and do things like that and kind of larger platforms, uh, have the opportunity to do the world golf fitness summit this fall, which would be really cool. Be one of the first players that have been asked to speak at that and kind of share my story and, uh, you know, the ways to utilize some of the stuff that I've come in contact with to kind of help kind of transform the way that golf fitness looks. And, you know, a little bit of intensity is not a bad thing. And just, you know, the way it's kind of applied throughout. And I think you're a strong advocate for that as well. And uh, I think when people actively pursue discomfort, it's amazing to see what comes out on the other side. And um, I think that that can be adequately applied to the world of golf and uh, be cool to be able to do some of that. But, you know, the haters and the naysayers and stuff, I could care less about that. But like I had a guy actually last week at the players, Mm -hmm this random dude, he probably sent me, I don't know, 20 direct messages. And I responded here and there and, and, and sent him some stuff. And he said, just so you know, I saw you at the players last year. And I told my, and I listened to your story and I told myself, I wasn't going to put myself, I was going to put myself first. And he came up to me and he brought up, he was the starter on number one at players. And he said, I've lost almost 50 pounds this is who I was last year on the first tee. This is who I am today. And he said, like, I was like, this, all, all the haters and stuff immediately fall away. Cause I mean, that's, if, if my story reaches someone like that to come, like, like I took me a second to kind of like collect myself. Cause I mean, once you actually, it's one thing to see it in like a digital form, but actually see a guy show you a picture of this was me starting last year on number one. And I saw you and I didn't recognize you. And I decided to take your story and put it into my own life. Mm-hmm. And then to see him in person was like, I need to do as much as I possibly can. And not that I feel like I have some like highly motivational speaking tone or anything like that, but I feel like I'm super honest and, you know, I don't, I, I kind of call it like I see it and be able to kind of push the people in the right direction. But I got in this, uh, direct message not necessarily argument but it was more of uh the this guy uh sent me a message it was a couple of days ago mm-hmm. as far as how i was basically a conversation like this of how i was utilizing my time off and he said man i've kind of neglected myself and you know what what's some things you can tell me to 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 make me want to be the best version of myself and he wrote out this like, well, I used to be this and I used to be that. It's like, well, how can you write those things and what you used to be and that not be a motivator? Like, you don't need me to tell you what you need to do to get better. You already know. Right. And uh, I think the people that send me messages or see me on the road, like, like I'm going to come and like, you know, slap them on the butt and tell them good job. It's like, man, you, you need to be that self motivator. You know, that they're outside sources every now and then to kind of push you in the right direction. I think that, those things are great, but we are our best motivator. And, you know, those little cues and those little kind of ticks that we come across in life that kind of help us find those things. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's you and, and, you know, what you can, you know, put out each and every day. And I, 
all the things with the I have the rent is due right behind. I try to do all my podcasts when I'm at home with that, and just because that's become so much of what I do every single day. And I mean, you truly you have two things you control every single day: your attitude and your effort. And it's up to you as far as you know what that looks like, and you know no one else can control that. Yeah, it, it's you. I think it's so. cool because you know even uh, with the speaking aspect, I mean the actions, the actions that. They trump the the words that you do, you know. So I mean, you're one hundred percent. But I think that's cool about that starter man because that's a guy who was waiting for that opportunity just to see you again. You know, I mean, that was that must have been pretty neat, man. To actually, see that. I, I was uh, blown away, like to the point, like I've had a few moments in my career where like something like that's happened, especially a recent life where it kind of takes me back a little bit. Um, you know, where their guys had like a tremendous weight loss or you know, uh, just a total like change in life and, or like to train with the guy at a tournament and then uh, come a year later and like, I don't even recognize him. Yeah. It's like, Holy cow. Like, man, look what you've done. And, uh, I think the opportunity to be able to celebrate that is, um, is something that I have really, really enjoyed. And, uh, man, if anyone watches this and has that story, not necessarily for me, but just some things that they've overcome adversity and, and kind of dealt with the head on and, you know, no excuses, man, just deal with it and under, accept the fact that it's happened and understand what it takes to be better the next time. And, uh, those kind of things are what I look at. It's like, Holy cat, this, this is actually like making a difference. And, but that was one that I look back and my caddy's like, okay, you, are you okay? Like, so I was not, I kind of had in my mind, I knew that he was going to be there, but they actually see it like all come together. It was, something it meant a lot to me so you're watching this like i think about that every day it's awesome man in terms of uh in terms of your platform and then let's stay with that theme man helping people i mean you've set it up in knoxville there man where kids play free uh i think it's an awesome initiative because i mean with people playing golf but can you talk about uh just talk about that whole initiative man and, and then giving back yeah so i do a lot with junior golf i yep. obviously do a lot with professional golf on tour and and everything that the PGA Tour tries to do uh, in the areas that we play and uh, do a lot. I had an AJGA event for nine years. I started the Tennessee Junior Cup. Uh, it's where they take the East versus West boys and girls. Uh, this will be our 10th year coming up in the fall. And my uh, business manager, you know, one of my close friends came up and uh, said, man, we don't do anything to grow the game. <laughs> like, I feel like I do a lot for the game. He's like, you know, you don't really do anything from the beginning side. Everyone that you deal with is good at golf. And I was like, you're exactly right. I mean, from the tour to high-level amateur golf to, you know, the occasional pro I'm here and there, but nothing to actually, like, stick a kid, a club in the hand for the first time and, and kind of give them the opportunity to learn. Yeah. And I've said this in every speech that I do for Kids Play Free. Golf's given me more than I ever deserve and more than I ever thought it would be capable of doing. Um, so if I have the opportunity to give that same opportunity, if I have the same chance to give the same opportunity to a kid that may have not had it before, like I'm going to do that. So we just wrote a list down of all the reasons why people don't play and try to figure out the fastest way to eliminate all of them. And it was time, cost, and availability. And through the partnership with the Tennessee Golf Foundation, uh, and a couple of courses here in Knoxville, we were able to provide golf 365 days a year for free. And there's some really, really cool opportunities here in Knoxville and Knox County. And uh, Mayor Jacobs, uh, our wrestler mayor, is uh, very proud of the initiative and something that he wants to get behind. So we'll hopefully uh, add a few more golf courses and, and kind of a transition program to go from a kind of a par three uh, executive course setting into a big course and and kind of be able to develop that next generation of junior golfers. And uh, now with everything that's happened in the world with the, with the virus and quarantine and whatever, people are encouraged to kind of golf with something that people are excited to be doing. You kind of do it on an individual basis. And I got a call from our buddy that runs one of the courses close to my house and said this is the busiest month they've had in a long time. That's awesome, yeah, <laughs> Just because sure. people can kind of be out and kind of be away from people but still be able to enjoy outside and, uh, I love hearing that, and uh, it's something that we talked about hypothetically, but to actually see it come to fruition and you know get some notoriety and attention and 
and hopefully inspire others to be able to provide the same thing is pretty great. Yeah. So some people that are listening to this uh, for the first time, man, don't understand. I mean, how did, how does the initiative work? How does that set up for a kid? Uh, all they have to do is physically be there. Okay. <laughs> they provided an email address. Uh, I mean, they're not required to do anything. Uh, they have to, an email address or a phone number where they can get in touch and kind of let them know. Because what we've done is through some of the PGA section, uh, allow some instructional time yep. and just to know. So if you, so if you bring your kids, uh, the ki- equipment balls, I mean, they can use their own if they have it, but it, a kid just needs attendance basically. <laughs> uh, and he can show up and balls clubs and unfettered access to the golf course. Uh, we have two par three courses here in town and they can have at it, man, all day if they want to. And all they need is a, a little bit of, parent involvement at the beginning and you know cut them loose i mean that's how i learned how to play when i was a kid my parents dropped me off and picked me up later in the day and uh we're trying to develop some uh kind of player development programs yeah to kind of take that kid oh you know i kind of like hitting it around i'd kind of like to do a little bit more and uh kind of give them some places to go so some of the transitional courses that we're looking at being a part of here in knox county and uh is something that's next in the progression but uh, for now, we're very happy with the progression of the program and uh, to see a lot of kids touch the golf club for the first time and, and some of the stories that have come from it. It's been pretty cool. I think it's fantastic, man, because even like you don't know the impact, right? Like 10, 15 years from now, one of the kids mm-hmm. that are going to come up to you and be training with you and that, that, yeah, that got to start through you. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. We had our we had a fundraiser in December and as you know, a bunch of people that I knew were a part of the fundraiser, you know, people helped me start the program or, you know, friends and family here in town. But uh, we had a bunch of people that I didn't know come up and say, my, my kids have played this many rounds and like, Oh, Whoa. <laughs> I had one dad that he came to the fundraiser and said, my, my son played 81 holes in one day. Like th- that's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, if I was given the opportunity to go play golf for free as much as I wanted and, you know, that's exactly what I would have done. So hearing the stories like that, and um, it just makes you want to make the program bigger and better. And a lot of the partners and my corporate partners on tour have kind of added on to it, made it kind of part of their initiative, their give back. And uh, it's been very cool to see and hopefully we'll have a lot more opportunity coming our way here soon. That's awesome, man. I, lo- I love that too, man. I mean, it's uh, I think it just shows, <laughs> you know, your heart with, uh, how about this one for the, for the golfer? So let's take this one to the golfer. That's, that's coming up and wants to play, wants to be the best that they can be when it comes to like their mental toughness piece. What's something that you wish you knew when you were coming up and growing up and getting better at the game that, that you that you think is important i think the fact the and this is not from a defeated mindset this yeah. is just accepting mindset of this game owes you absolutely nothing <laughs> absolutely nothing and i think the quicker that you can realize that and just accept the fact that hey just because you you know i've had practice sessions where i've absolutely worked my butt off and go back and i struggle with the something the exact same day and golf is it's very unforgiving, but it's the best game in the world because you can always get better at it. And I, I think a lot of times people like the the work in to like progress out ratio is not very high, if that makes sense, just because the time and effort that it takes to be really good. And, you know, why you see the guys that shoot, you know, man, that guy shot 65 and he shot 77 the next day. It's like, man, there's so many different intangibles that we right. deal with. You know, that people I don't think understand, especially when we deal with highly competitive golf. Um, and not that you walk out every single day, it's like, oh, this this game owes me nothing, or I'm just going to just let whatever happened happen. Like, no, man, I'm going to take it head on. I'm going to accept what happens, and I'm going to deal with whatever adversity comes my way. But I'm going to be as prepared as I possibly can yeah. to overcome any obstacle that I deal with. Mud ball. Yeah. Delve into that just a little bit more. Like, what do you you mean the golf that, like, it doesn't owe you anything? Talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things like, oh, I practiced six hours and I shot 76. It's like, I mean, I've had days where I didn't practice at all. I shot 62. I mean, I I think that the, the, 
I don't know if finicky is, but that, that's a good description of what I try to do for a living. I mean, uh, but just figuring out there's so many other things from a, a mindset perspective that necessarily dictates outcomes. Um, the process of getting to the golf course and, and preparation, you know, from day to day is way more important than the, you know, the, what happens like on the driving range. Like people, like I love the pro-am like, ah, I hit it great on the range. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that just ruins you. I mean, like I'd rather see a guy top it 50 times in a row. Cause he goes on the course. He has no expectation and he goes out there and plays great. It's like, that's the best round I've ever played. I thought I was going to play awful today. It's like, well, you thought you were going to play awful. So your expectations were lower and you had the best round of your life. And then you get the total opposite of that. The guy that just goes out there in 2000 Tiger Woods on the range and goes out there and he can't find earth. And, you know, expectations can be a dangerous, a slippery slope. And especially when you deal with a game that ultimately you have control of what happens before you hit it. And when it goes up in the air, it's in the Lord's hands then. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you're accepting with whatever happens. Golf is one of the only sports in the world where you can do everything right and get a bad result. I can, I can hit 182 yards, seven iron to a tuck back right pin you know, fly it in the hole, it bounce out and go in the water. I did it. I did my part right. But I think the, the sooner you start to realize that I'm going to put my best foot forward and understand that whatever comes my way, I'm going to deal with it. That, that I'm going to deal with the good breaks. I'm going to deal with the bad breaks and I'm going to be level. And I think that when your peaks and valleys can kind of be leveled out, I think that when the highs are not as high and the lows are not as low, you can start to just deal with adversity head on where nothing surprises you. Yeah. And I feel like that's the, the guys that are truly the best in the world. Nothing, sh- nothing shakes them. Yep. They get up there, you know, divot in the fairway, plug in the bunker, man, they shake it off. They get it back in play and they go and they, they do better the next hole. And I feel like when that woe is me, the world's against me uh, kind of mentality, those are the guys that are kind of flashing the pan, but the guys that are truly going out there and, and just dealing with it, and understanding whatever happens, I mean, they're just going to make no excuses and almost kind of man up around it. Those are the guys, like, man, those are people that are truly great. Yeah. Um, one of the quotes I like, because I think that's an epic one, man. I might title the podcast that way. But if, uh, <laughs> you know, golf golf pays you when it wants to pay you, not when you want it to pay yeah. you. Absolutely. <laughs> there is no doubt, man. I, I The amount of if you took the amount of time and effort that a PGA tour plays works and still gets bad results compared to the amateur and stuff, it's like, it's not a time in time out thing. And uh, it's a, it's a focus. It's a a process oriented. um, And like I was uh, with some baseball guys uh, after I played the players, uh, I had a, uh, I played, played the 10th hole awful. And we were talking about the process and like transition periods and when, uh, you know, there's lengthy waits and, and trying to treat every shot as the same in just certain situations where they're not the same and trying to have like physical cues come in and, and kind of help deal with those kind of transition moments. And I mean, it's my 10th year on tour and I'm picking brains of guys that don't even play the same sport as I do, just as far as there's so many different things you can learn from others. And, but, I think for the most part, I try to do a good job of trying to realize that I don't have it all figured out. And the moment that I feel like I do have it figured out, I haven't figured out anything. Yeah. And it, if you can't find a learning moment from and at least have the humility enough to come alongside someone, but man, I can learn a lot from this person. You know, whether it's a, a guy that's a rookie on tour or the guy that's been retired for 25 years, like I want an opportunity to sit down and man, what are some things that you wish you could have done different? And, and whether that's, man, I'm just happy with my career. I was happy with what I did and, um, or you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I, I think that goes a long way. And you've, you've always, you've always done a good job of that though, too, man. Even, uh, even on a web.com tour, I mean, you were, you were out there, uh, still constantly learning, man. You're always in that learning mode, which was, which was so cool. Um, I want to bring up one story real quick because this is one that I share. Uh, that I, probably the one of the best things I learned from you, and uh, I'm gonna—you I'm gonna, might not even remember it, man—but we're at Aronimic, and um, you know it's 
Wednesday, I guess. And uh, Red Sox were in town, Red Sox and Phillies, right? And um, I wanted to have a bet. I was going to bet 100 push-ups against, like, the tickets. And all you had to do was two-putt from one spot on that little green that was kind of off near the clubhouse. Nobody was really on it. And do you remember the story? Mm-hmm. And so you show up, and there's one putt. There's one putt that's going to be a tough one. The others are pretty easy, but you hadn't been putting at all. And I, I kind of was practicing before you showed up there, and it kind of just it just runs off. It leaves you like a seven-footer like coming back. So I'm thinking in my head, all right, he comes here. He's going to warm up on these couple of easy holes, and he's going to finish on this, this little Rasputin of a hole. And you show up, and you look at them all, and then you point to the tough one. You say, like, I'm starting with that one. And you knocked it, uh, got it done, and then it was like the rest was easy. And it taught me the power. It was like, man, start with the difficult stuff first. And I never forgot that lesson. But do you remember that one? Yeah, I think a lot of people like, oh, what can I do with the easy stuff? And we had the – I, I worked out with two guys today, and we had this 50s workout where it was 10 exercises. None of them were overly difficult, but it was 50 reps of everyone, so 500-rep yeah. workout. And every three minutes, you had to come on, and you had to do a basically a 10-cal assault bike sprint in that rest minute and then rest for the rest of it and then right back into it. And we were transitioning right before we started to go into like, what, what do we think is the most brutal part? And sure enough, my buddy, the UFC guy, he's the unbelievable mentality. He's just far to deal with adversity. He's like, I'm going to start there. Yep. And it, it came across as like, oh, he's just tougher than us. But honestly, he looks at he's like, I don't know where I'm going to start, where I'm going to finish. So I'm going to start at the top. Yeah. <laughs> and just with the way that we wrote the workout, the the front side was the worst. And we're just sitting in a circle like, what workouts can we do for 50 reps that would kind of be brutal towards the end? And, and it just so happened it was pretty front heavy. And But just hey, once I, I knew all I had to do was get through those first three rounds of 50, and I was smooth sailing. Yep. And he was exactly right. I started in the middle and kind of caught that front part where I didn't, I was, I hadn't quite hit the wall yet. And then our buddy, our other buddy had to do it last. And he's like, man, that was awful. It's like, I'd have much rather just done that first. And I think when you get to guys that are highly successful, I mean, they, they truly want to deal with the worst part first. Like, man, let me get through it and just let me deal with it head on and everything else will take care of itself. But mm-hmm. I remember that story a lot. I mean, the other parts, like if I can't do this one, I, it, the other ones don't matter. Yeah. And, you know, let me just deal with it first. And, and if I do great, if not, you know, I'm not going to sit there and waste my time on some other ones, but this is the one I have to get through. And the rest, like I should be able to handle, you know, for the, for the most part, you know, fairly easy. And all that stuff, you know, kind of goes along with you know, just kind of how you want to face it. Mm-hmm. You know, don't just push it off to the end and, you know, continue to work on your weakness. Like, man, I, I hate working on my hip mobility. I hate it. But I know that there's something that that is going to help me be better. It's going to help me be better on the course, going to help me be better off the course. And, um, you know, that's just something that I have to do. And um, I just enjoy the struggle through it. Yeah. And so I that's something that I do not enjoy being a part of and I face it head on and just suffer right through it. And, but I know once I'm done with that, I get to do the stuff I want to do. And that's kind of the same mentality, whether it's on the course or off the course. Yeah. Um, just one more question, mate. What, um, and I, I've kind of ended all my podcasts this way by asking this question, but what question should I be asking Scott that I'm not asking? Asking myself or asking in general? Um, asking what question should I be asking you that I'm not asking? <laughs> oh man, um, I I don't know. I I feel like when I don't know if it's just me per se, but I always try to ask someone like, what are they striving towards? What is it? Whether it's you know medical. Uh, mental, physical, spiritual, life, marriage, whatever. I think that you should be, if you are, you know, I don't know if it's goal oriented, but if you're process oriented, those should be pretty quick answers to understand, you know, like, Hey man, what's something in your body you're working on? I can tell you pretty dang fast. I can tell you something we're working on with our kids. I can tell you something 
that my wife and I were talking about, like with our kids' schedule and trying to just be better, be aware with this time that we're never going to get. And um, I think that's a pretty quick check. And then you start to see people scramble, like, uh, physical fitness. <laughs> like, no, nah, that's kind of a, a foregone conclusion. But, like, what are you working on? And I think it's just a mindfulness thing to understand, you know, this is what I'm doing. I'm not just out here spinning my wheels and, and going through the motions, but I actually have like achievable goals that I'm trying to work on and, uh, you know, setting some accountability throughout there to try to help make sure you achieve it, whether it's a physical thing. Hey, I mean, I'm trying to lose, you know, 50 pounds or I'm trying to, you know, lose one pound a day or, you know, like myself, I mean, I'm 35 years old next week and I'm trying to make sure I hold myself accountable, drink a gallon of water a day. Like that's just little things, little cues that I can have for myself that hey, I go through this, I do this. But I, I like to not necessarily put people on the spot, but I think it's a good way, man. Do you really put your money where your mouth is? And you know, can you really, like you were saying, the the work speaks for itself. And you know, someone asked me what I'm working on, I should be able to tell them pretty quick if they give me some kind of parameters. And you know, whether that's my golf swing or you know whether that's you know my deadlift technique or you know whatever my mile time or whatever i can tell you pretty quickly like what i would like to improve on the things i'm trying to do to make sure that happens love it man mic drop buddy <laughs> hey scott can you uh can you go ahead and mention your sponsors real quick man i'll put those links in there uh my uh titleist is my equipment sponsor chronos task performance uh south college here in knoxville uh one flight is that they're a flight company out of denver uh I use uh, Onyx on my collar, FitAids in Santa Cruz, uh, Rogue, Techno Gym, Brandon Bills. Uh, there's there's quite a few, but that's uh, enough to kind of get it started. And no, it's awesome, we've got man. a bunch of other fitness we're working with, uh, you know, PowerDot, Recoup, and a bunch of others kind of transitioning into some stuff off the course. But uh, exciting times to be able to kind of showcase some of those things, especially while I have some tra- downtime off the tour and hope they'll bring them in uh, full once we get back on there. So. For sure, man. We'll, That's we'll, awesome, man. We'll put them on there, buddy. Hey, Scott, thanks so much, man, for taking the time, man, and uh, I really appreciate you. All right. Thank you, buddy.